Hello! Welcome to the Dreamosphere. Hmm. What happened to the Libro Cube, you might ask? Well, I will tell you. I will also tell you that my name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical Libro Cubicalist. This is. You guessed it. Or maybe you didn't guess it if you read the description of the episode. This is episode 100. Ah! Oh, I should have had a sound there of people clapping. Hmm. Well, let's move on. Why is it the Dreamos here? Because I decided to do something very, very, very different with this episode. It is not a Movie Monday episode. It is not a TV Tuesday, Book Wednesday, Video Games Day, nor a Fra Internet Day episode. No Surrey Bob E. It is one in which I have decided to break out the old dream journal. Um, back, way back, uh, I used to, when waking up, write down my dreams. And I will say, they are goddamn crazy. So, uh, I thought for this very, very special episode 100, I would uh, pop her out, read through them, and uh, that would be the episode. That is that, as they say. So, uh, let's just throw out a few things, such as, uh, just looking at the first one here, I, I didn't do any sort of pre-reading. This very first one was from 1998 to 2000, somewhere in that range. And I will also mention that the last one that I actually did was in July 2011. So I have not exactly uh, been keeping this up to date. A lot of what I say probably will not make sense unless you know me. However, some of it is just general craziness, so that should appeal to all. Uh, I did want to uh, say that if you appear in my dream and I know you, I hope you don't mind me mentioning that. However, um, if you appear in my dream and I had sex with you in said dream, if it was aka a sex dream, um, I have developed a way, a work around that, <laughs> so as not to, so as not to, um, I don't know if embarrass myself is the right word, just because we all have dreams, we all have sex dreams, and within our sex dreams are most likely people we know, right? It's not always going to be your Angelinas and your Jessica Albas. So uh, whenever one of those names pops up, um, I will a la TV censorship uh, bleep it out. However, since um, this is an episode of the Lackadaisical Liberal Cubriclist, of course we're not going to use a simple bleep. That is boring. More. Instead, I have a Star Trek related bleep. Goes a little something like this. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with that sound, that's basically, I guess how you could describe that is a uh, Star Trek The Next Generation doorbell. <laughs> yeah. I think I have said everything I wanted to say. Basically, uh, no, no great plan here other than to read through them and see what we see. So, why don't I begin? Hmm. I can't think of a reason, so I'm going to. Just close my eyes again Climbed aboard the dream weaver train Trying 
I got a little note on the top that says, this is the sort of dream that made me want to start this. Uh, and then, because as I, this sort of thing, I want to do it right, uh, apparently I went online way back when and uh, looked uh, for ways that you should do this. So uh, every dream, I, I assume every dream, all, all the few that I've browsed at so far will have a title, We'll have a date, a category, a uh, 1 to 10 um, rating of lucidity, and maybe some keywords, and then the description. That's the, That looks kind of like how I... That's how I started it anyways. I don't know how it ended. Okay, so uh, I'll just start with this one. The title is Oldest Dream I Vividly Remember. The date is many years ago, question mark with 1998 to 2000, question mark? Not sure. Category is fucked up slash NyQuil-induced, and the lucidity is 10 on a scale of 10. 10 being high. Uh, I should mention that, uh, that NyQuil-induced part there, um, I used to, well, probably not every day, but quite often, drink NyQuil before bed because it would knock you the fuck out and uh, quite often give you crazy dreams crazy cool dreams uh, now I only do it when I'm having real real trouble sleeping so maybe once or twice a month uh, probably why I don't write dreams down as often as I used to I guess that and uh, just a little tip for people who want to do this the, the really the only way that it will work is if you start writing the second you get up. If you say get up, go to the bathroom, have a shower, um, what you write is going to be much, much less vivid than if you wake up and do it. That's what I learned over the many years, I guess, that I did this. Okay, let's move on to keywords. This is crazy, vivid, movie-like, uh, amazingly still remembered. Okay, description. Uh, in brackets, I had this dream when I was maybe 18 years old or somewhere around there. I can still picture it clearly. Alright, here we go. The dream starts off on Highway 50 in front of where the old Jacks used to be. It's a it's nighttime and there is a full moon. In actuality, there is not one full moon, but dozens of them. They are all just above the horizon are twice the size of any full moon you have ever seen. Here's where it gets weird. <laughs> that, apparently that was not weird. Uh, you, you know what, just <clears throat> mentioned too off the top that the first half or so of these dreams were handwritten, so I might have some trouble reading my own writing. 
Uh, then I started typing them, I guess, from the looks of it. Okay, um, on the west side of Highway 50 going north-south, as far as the eye can see, rack after rack of toothbrushes. There were rack after rack of toothbrushes. The street is filled with people. I think they are my friends, but I don't recall 100%. Each toothbrush has a different animal depicted on its handle. And somehow I have the knowledge that whatever toothbrush uh, a person is to grab, they will be transformed, um, at the very least partially, into that animal. Most people are only taking one toothbrush, or none at all, but I pick up a gorilla and a panther toothbrush simultaneously. Uh, I don't actually see my transformation take place, but suddenly time jumps ahead, which happens a lot in my dreams, uh, and I am this massive gorilla, panther, human guy in college at a party. <laughs> Around me are other transformed people. My memory of them is a little vague, but I do remember there was Christine who was pretty human but had like feathers going up her neck. Jen was a little more transformed mixed with like a spotted deer with hooves for hands and deer ears and four mm, can't read. <laughs> uh, lastly was Van Rye who was a hundred percent changed into like a jaguar or leopard. I don't know how I know it was him but I just knew which seems to often be the nature of dreams. I also just knew that uh, there was a rift between us transformed humans and the normal humans. Oh. This is part of the movie-like feel. It reminded me of X-Men. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, easy to see the similarities. So we are at the party and a group of normal humans come into the kitchen and start bullying us around and picking on us. Uh, they scare everyone off and I am there alone with them and their leader, who I can't picture at all, starts pushing me, trying to anger me. It takes a long time before I just lose it and punch him so hard his head literally comes off his neck. There's no blood or anything, but I still know the seriousness of what I have done. Like a mutant killing a human in X-Men. <laughs> uh, time jumps forward again and I am on the run for my crime. I think it was Christine Bird or Jen Deer with me. We are running through a giant warehouse filled with stacks and stacks of newspaper. They are on fire and it's really movie-like again, uh, with us dodging our way through them. We make our way out and there is a helicopter chasing us, but then suddenly it's us that's in the copter and we are flying off to safety. I don't 100% remember, but I think it was even into the sunset. <laughs> um, then I wake up and I think I actually told a bunch of people about it with some odd with some odd looks, needless to say. Let's just hope my writing gets a little better after this one. Oh, uh, yeah, I wanted to have a some sort of sound before, um, some sort of sound in between um, dreams. So let's just go with this one right now. 
Uh, maybe a little phasers. Alright, that was pretty cool. Okay, Dream the Second. I didn't count how many there are, so there you go. Title, Burfasco-ish. Date, March 11th, 2009. So obviously, uh, jumping quite a number of years ahead, like ten of them, from that first original dream to when I started to actually write them down. Uh, category is Work Dream. Lucidity is 6 to 8. Keywords are Brafasco, uh, Old Friends, and Odd as Usual. Uh, the dream started in what somehow I knew was the back of the Bolton Brafasco. Although it was like twice the size, I am 99% sure I have had dreams in the same setting. There was a bunch of people loading, unloading a truck. I come in the front and someone, I think Jay, told me Stacy was in the back. So I went out back to see Stacy, who I've not seen in a while. I passed Van Rye on the way back, and he was piling a skid with bolt boxes. I shook Stacy's hand and then went to help Van Rye. Helping Van Rye, I find out that he... Oh man, my writing is really bad. He lost his job for throwing something. <laughs> uh, it turns out the wall also works there, and I see him only he is like 100 pounds heavier, and we uh, ride on a, f a golf cart, and he tells me him and Van Rye are actually cooks at other Brafascos. Oh, Jesus. Then I am suddenly helping Dan Weirin put together a broken pump truck. Then it jumps to me in front of the fridge somewhere, and I pull out a Mellow de apple juice, and then I start drinking it like I'm dying of thirst. Then I woke up. Uh, I often have dreams with me being really thirsty, then wake up being thirsty. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go with this sound. Yep, that's the sound, alright. Next. Title is This Old House. Date is August or April 13th, 2009. Category Old House Dream. <laughs> Lucidity 7 to 8. Uh, keywords Mount Wolf. Bloody, knew it was a dream, and paper dog? Jesus. Ah, I cannot read my own writing. Paper dog. So, this dream jumped around a fair bit, but I remember it started in the kitchen of my old Mount Wolf house. There was a party going on, and it reminded me of the party we actually had there. Uh, suddenly... Kirk, Christine, and I are in the area by where you come in from the garage where the little bathroom is. Christine takes off her glasses. She is wearing and kind of takes them apart and uses a piece of them to slit Kirk's throat and kills him. Uh, then I have here written Dream Jump, which I think 
if I do recall, um, I used when like the dream jumped from one scene to another. Uh, I am still on the property of Mount Wolf, and somehow Mom and John have opened a little convenience store, and it's like right in the middle of the family room, although the setup is all different. One of the customers slaps my mom on the butt, and I say real angry-like, if you ever do that again, I will kill you. <laughs> he leaves uh, and then comes back all in a huff. We head towards the door to fight. Uh, the guy is probably a foot shorter than me, and now that I think about it, he looked like the main guy from Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, we are outside of Mount Wolf on the side of the house closest to the road. Uh, and we come to an abandoned truck and turn, uh, and turn and face the other and st start to fight. Wow. Uh, I am punching him repeated, repeatedly to no effect, and he is giving me tips on how to fight. I even try to knee him in the balls, and he says, this is not that kind of fight. Eventually, he hits me a couple of times, then Kirk steps in, alive! Oh yeah, he died, didn't he? And uses the same glasses trick to cut this guy's ear off. But he goes running. Dream jump. Uh, I am in the hallway, headed towards my bedroom. Christine now lives in my sister's room, and I try to get in, but it's boarded somehow. Uh, I give up and go to my room. Now, one of the great things, when I actually realize I am having a dream, I start, bec uh, I think, because I start to use telekinesis, and it's working. Cool. I have had dreams like this in the past, and if you concentrate you can often change anything. I have had dreams like in this in the past, and if you concentrate, you can change anything. I pretty much always try to turn it into a sex dream. Hmm, yes, some things haven't changed. Uh, I try to make a girl appear under the covers. Nothing happens. Uh, the, the covers stir, but that's it. And then I look at the bedroom door and concentrate. Uh, and think, in three seconds, a hot girl will walk in. One, two, three, door opens, and a fucking little angry dog walks in. Exclamation point, no less. Uh, it looks like Jen's dog, but half the size. I pick it up and let it out and try again, but it is repeatedly biting my fingers. doesn't really bother me because I still know it's a dream, so it does not hurt. Eventually I get angry, though, and <laughs> throw the dog against the wall a couple of times. Nothing. Uh, usually when I can control a dream, it means I'm going to get up. So now I am frustrated and rip the dog, dog in pieces, and it's like he was made of paper. And the paper flutters on the floor a bit and then stops, and I woke up with no dream sex. Exclamation point. Okay, <laughs> next. Oh yeah, we need a little sound here. Let's go with... Transporter room report. Lovely. Title, Africa. Hmm. Uh, date, March 16th, 2009. Category, a bit jumbled. TV show, old work. 
Lucidity, 5 to 7. Keywords, African setting. TV show, a bit jumbled, jumpy. Uh, the dream is a little jumbled in my noggin. <laughs> Uh, jumps around because jumps around because of that. Starts off that I am working on a TV show, uh, specifically Trailer Park Boys. Huh. Ricky says something like, "You are worthless," and Trevor, you are more worthless than Trevor and Corey. Wow. Because I am because I complained that I did because I complained that I did even mom work, and never actually appeared on the show. What? Uh, jumps to KFC, where I am cooking. Pretty boring, really. It was just like the old days when I worked there. My boss was there, Charlie, and I remember looking at the clock, and it was 5.15, and I was leaving, and I was leaving, and my replacement was just walking in, and it turns out it was Duncan. Uh, Dream jumps again to a desert kind of place in Africa, and I'm working on a survival-type show, and the main guy was the bald guy, comedian, who used to have a show on the Food Network, <laughs> but is now on the Canadian show Little Mosque on the Prairie. Oh, I know that guy. He's funny. Uh, I don't know what his name is. Uh, it was... It was him and this smoking hot girl who I think was in the, was the army girl from that motivational poster where she is sitting on top of a missile in a bikini. <laughs> uh, wearing army pants and like a tiny hat. Wow, my writing is very, very messy on this one. Uh, we are pretty much living in trenches, and the bad guy is explaining to the camera how to stay cool in the desert. Uh, when the big boob girl and I go off into the brush, a way to have sex. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this part is kind of blurry. <laughs> but we come back, and my dad is there, and is like, gives me a high five. Uh... Dream jumps again to an isolated house out in the African savanna. There are tons of people living there, and it starts off, I am talking to Papa, uh, my grandfather and my mother's side, I should say, who is in the top bunk of bunk beds, and gives me a whole whack of baseball cards. Uh, very few are actual baseball cards, but most seem to be... French cartoon cards, whatever those are. Um, the only one I can kind of remember was Family Circus. Oh, there you go. A Family Circus in French and another called Dot. So I take the cards and then we. Well, it was a long one. Uh, so I take the cards and then we are sitting down to a meal at a huge table. It is mostly family, I think. I look at the window and there are gorillas everywhere. Eventually, there are lions, too, and one of the gorillas uh, bangs on the screen door, and everyone gets nervous, so I close the big wooden door, but behind it is a small lion. <laughs> I am surprised, but neither scared, 
but never scared in the whole dream. And I let him out. I go into the kitchen, which looks like the KFC kitchen, and there is another lion, who I just let out. Frustrated, I start looking for how they are getting in. It seems everywhere I look, there is a way for the lions to get in. <laughs> there are two cheetahs by the side door. One of them actually bites me, and then talks, saying they just want to be let out. I let him out, and he heads towards the basement where uh, Bunny rushes in. Uh, it seems like every door is just hanging by its hinges, so I give up uh, and and head back upstairs. It's now nighttime, and Nick Nolte and I head <laughs> outside. Nick Nolte and I head outside with a concoction Kelk's dad made of like hot peppers and stuff <laughs> to keep the animals away. This. Uh, there is a dying baby gorilla just outside the door. A giant owl shows up, and when it opens its pumpkin-sized mouth, there are feathers going all the way down its throat, and a black eye right in the center of its head. Uh, Nick backs into the house, and I follow. Suddenly, I am reading like a brochure, and it is describing pretty much everything that just happened and it's like none of it actually happened. It was simply me reading uh, about it. The dream ends with me looking for Nick Nolte's name on the brochure, but I am unable to find it. That one was pretty crazy. Let's go with... What have we done? Interface complete. Good one. Next is called Xena Warrior Boozer. Huh. Uh, this is from March 19th, 2009. Uh, category is Dream, Back to Sleep, Wake Up. Huh. Uh, lucidity is 4 to 5. Keywords are Aviation, Xena, Bar, Odd. The little black book of dreams that Emily got me said that if you have a dream and then go back to sleep, you are a lot less likely to remember it clearly. This is one of those, so I will just write it out in point form. Yeah, I remember occasionally doing this where I wouldn't uh, just write down the dream, I would just write down like points of things that happened in the dream. Sometimes that would like get you going. Okay, so, point first, uh, Pinky and the Brain, uh, deciding who should fly a plane and who should be the gunner. <laughs> what the fuck? I like Pinky and the Brain, so that's pretty cool. Uh, dogfight versus Pinky and the Brain, I am a horrible pilot and crash repeatedly. Lucy Lawless, a.k.a. Xena, steals a bunch of stuff. And then I have a question mark. Uh, I force her to give it back. I am pretty sure we had some sex, too. <laughs> uh, I am at a bar that I think made an appearance in a dream before. This time it is a lot tamer. So we ask... 
tamer. So we asked what happened, and they said, the party now gets crazier the higher you head up. So I start walking, uh, start walking up flight after flight of stairs, and don't remember who all was in my party except Van Rye and I think Xena again. We eventually reach the top bar after passing some crazy shit and the bar is set up so you will just go and pick a bottle off the shelf and bring it up and they charge you for it. Uh, I can't find any bourbon. I guess this is when I started drinking bourbon around this time. Uh, I can't find any bourbon so I ask if they have any and the cashier starts to make me a drink. Uh, I never see the actual bottle because he is making it behind a counter, but he comes up with this giant margarita glass that looks like bourbon over crushed ice. He then takes out a frog that looks like the Hypnotoad from Futurama. He cuts out its eyes and puts it in my drink like a garnish. <laughs> I turn around and turn back to take a sip and there is like 10, 20 frogs um, in my drink. I'm saying, uh, what the hell, <laughs> or something, and take a sip. Oh, yeah, I still drink it, okay. Uh, everyone is giggling, asking how it tastes. I take a bigger sip. It tastes kind of turpentine-like. The cashier tells me it's day-old rum. <laughs> uh, then the whole bar starts chanting, day-old rum day old rum over and over again I laugh at them <laughs> and wake up Jesus day old rum indeed uh, interface complete I think I'll just use that one every time much easier haven't had to use the sex one yet huh okay title old work uh, adventure TV hmm Date is March 20th, 2009. I think some of these are kind of close, aren't they? Category is question mark. Mm -hmm. uh, lucidity is 6 to 8. Keywords are um, Burfasco-ish, Boat Race, Vegas, Reality TV, and Corner Gas. Oh, cool. Uh, dream starts in Burfasco. Odd, I have written. Um... It's about 8 a.m. I am in a hurry to get out of there because I have to be at my now work at 9 o'clock. Hmm. So I can let Mike in. That Mike. Frasco starts off looking very similar to what it actually looks like. I am at the front stocking shelves, Crosby stuff. Uh, I leave and come back and wall the wall is stacking my shelves. The wall is a nickname of someone I know. FYI. The wall is stacking my shelves, so we get in a fight. <laughs> then I am behind the counter, and like last time, there is a ton of people working there. I see C, Van Rye, Kirk, Kelk, Graham, then some kind then the store kind of morphs and it is almost I can't make out this word almost cozen cozen like I don't know 
more. So the store morphs into something that is a word I can't make out. <laughs> and then I say, more like a fair, actually, because there is, like, the ring toss and stuff. Hmm. And there is a shooting game that Van Rye and his dad are playing. And I am next and about to step up, but someone calls my name. And it's Mark Deeth. He is behind a little bar. And I remember saying, how did you guys get your LLCBO license? Because <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. Uh, and Mark says something like, oh, we tricked them and told them it was for medical, <laughs> which obviously makes no sense, it says. Oh, another long one. Uh, then I head into the back, which is set up like some reality TV show I have seen. And it's two staircases, and one leads to the girls' bedrooms, and one leads to the bays. Oh, boys. <laughs> Suddenly it jumps, and I am waking up and heading downstairs, and now it really is a casino. Oh, that's what the word was. It morphed into a casino. Uh, I pull a $50 bill out of my pocket and start looking for something to bet on. I am tired, so I'm looking for something with huge stacks. Huh? Uh, I remember I see Dave, uh, Dave play what is, I think, craps. He has a ton of chips in front of him, um, but says he is down. Uh, I wander around a bit, and the dream jumps again to, like, a reality TV show, and it is, uh, it is five or so girls on an inflatable raft, and we are racing against another raft with all guys. And the only person I recognize is Richard Riley. Wow. And he is in the center of another raft. And he is barking orders at his team, but he is, but he is doing it really flamboyantly gay. Uh, I, rem I remember me and the girls laughing at him. The actual race is a bit of a jumble, but it reminds me of that old Nintendo game, Tubin where you were rushing down a river and some prizes you want to run over and certain obstacles you don't. For some reason, the very last thing we were supposed to go over was some giant tax that put holes into our boat. Uh, the boat started to deflate and it was getting harder to paddle. Then, uh, then a basically torn... Harder to paddle. Then, then I basically tore off this girl's earring, held it high, uh, and everyone started cheering, and we won the race. Oh, that's nice. I think this is when I wake up, but in writing all that, I remember another part, although I don't remember where it is in this timeline. Uh, I sh So apparently I am like a writer on Quarter Gas. Oh. Uh, Brent and his mom are doing a scene, and Brent's mom goes into the speech about Jordan Maywood. Hey, that's my name. <laughs> and how he is, and how he has kept, oh, kept complaining that he never appears on the show. Well, I kind of remember this one. Wow. 
seems like every other word is Jordan Maywood. And uh, the camera cuts away, and you keep expecting I will pop out, but it's always someone else. Wanda, Davis, etc. Another part of this corner gas part <laughs> uh, has Brent's folks looking for a, uh, a bodyguard, and Davis and I both volunteer. But it turns out he is like six inches, six inches or six feet, six somethings taller than me. So they pick him, and I'm like, no hard feelings. Then I look down, and the bugger <laughs> has on was on his tippy toes the whole time. <laughs> Goddamn Davis was on his tippy toes. That's why he got the job. I don't know if this is when I woke up or not. Oh baby. Okay, next is a dream called Old School. The date is April 6th. I didn't write a year. Hmm. Lucidity is 4 to 6. Uh, no category or keywords on this one. Maybe I strayed away from that eventually. Oh yeah, forgot to do. Interface complete. Uh, this one is not very clear. I think I woke up a bunch of times. So, I first remember getting on a school bus in front of Humberview. The bus changes into a giant city bus. There is a lot of ruckus, <laughs> and me and I think Brant McDonald crowd crawl out the window behind the driver and head up onto the roof of the bus. Uh, the bus is bucking up and down like one of those snakes from Little Big Planet. <laughs> You might understand that. Everything. Eventually, we head back inside, uh, reach our destination, which is a McDonald's. Dream then flashes back to a classroom, and Mr. Graham is discussing the field trip we are going on. That's all I remember. P.S. I may have neglected to write some dreams down. I guess this is where I'm getting less and less into it. Got hard to do, because you have to do it right when you get up, as I mentioned. Okay, this next one is called... Oh, I almost forgot. Interface complete. It's called Camp Cottage Race. Lucidity is 5 to 6, and it is from September 2009. Keywords are camp... Spiders, weird boat race, odd water. I think it starts on a deck at the cottage, sort of like Kirk's. You know, it's so blurry, I uh, will just do point form. Okay. Um, my first point form note says odd water, and then there's a, a diagram of what the water looked like, which I can't really make, I don't understand what it means. Um, the note says the water and land was like cut so you could see a cross section of it. Then when I looked close and what was holding, holding it was there was a really fine spider web holding everything in place. Hmm. There are a bunch of people around me also uh, marveling at this phenomenon. <laughs> and then we notice the spiders. There, there are all... They are of all sizes, and I am not really scared, but when we all notice they are blocking our way to the shore, we panic. 
I make a dive towards the shore and make it but am covered in spiders and webs a bit and I freak out but then I am fine. Uh, another part of this dream has to do with boating water races. I remember I had a boat that could crumple up like a Ziploc bag and all I would have to do is flick it like a whip and it would be solid. Would be a solid see-through canoe. Hmm, pretty, pretty fancy. Uh, most of the race parts were on the, on like the Amazon River. And I don't remember them too much. I remember walking on water for a bit. Ooh, maybe I'm Jeebus. Interface complete. Next is called Giant School. This is from April 24th, 2009. Lucidity is 5 to 6. So a little blurry. Mostly takes place in a giant school type building. It is massive and maze-like. I am trying to find my locker with little success. I can't find my classroom or schedule for that matter. Uh, I, I kind of go with the flow of people and end up in a classroom slash lab. I am like, wow, it's Mr. Long. That was the science teacher I had. Because uh, the teacher looks just like him, but then when I turn away and look back, he he is the no, 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 yes guy from Vicar of Dibley. What? I don't really remember that guy. Uh, I am not actually signed up for this class, and the teacher is asking a question, and I get the answer right, which was Morse code, <laughs> was the answer. Hmm. Um, when I get it right, he asks if I am supposed to be there. I say no, and he gives me a dirty look. So I get up and leave. He says, just kidding. Everyone laughs, and I sit down, and he continues. <laughs> um, there is a part where I'm outside, and it's snowy. I think there is more, but I can't remember. That ends the handwritten dreams. Let's move on to Interface complete. the typed out ones. Uh, at least these will be easier to read now. Okay. Uh, I, f I figure I will try to use... yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> my first uh, my first little... I put a little blurb it looked like when I started typing them. It says, I figure I will try to use the same setup as I did the handwritten virgin in. <laughs> I meant to say version, but I wrote virgin. Silly. The name is uh, Old School. Location Elwood Humberview Mix. Lucidity 5 to 7. Uh, I'm pretty sure the dream starts in the front hall of Elwood. As I write, I can't quite remember the flow of the dream, so I will skip to point form. Uh, the wall and Jamie Flood playing around, and I am following them. Travis Hall eating a cold, uncooked hamburger that he found in the garbage. Sitting in class. A surprising amount of sex parts, including sex, in including seduced by Mrs. Moore. Uh, that's a teacher, so I'll throw that in there. Uh, sex with... 
sex with both, and <laughs> uh, and actually ended the dream with sex with the missus. Aw, I'll leave that in, because that's nice. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Uh, the odd thing about the last scene with Emily was we were using some form of birth control involving squishing your dick into some sort of small box, and when it comes out the other side, it was green, and that's how you knew it worked. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? Okay. Interface complete. Next. Uh, this one is called Cartoon Workish. The location is Brafaskowish slash library. Uh, lucidity is 5 to 6. Uh, mostly takes place at Brafasco, and once again, I somehow know it's Brafasco, although it is set up way different. Some, uh, you know what, why don't I just mention at this point that I think every single one of these dreams where I mentioned Brafasco, I was not currently working there at the time, so that's kind of odd. Okay, anyways, um, some points I recall. Um, I am standing with Travis Hall. Odd, he is in two recent dreams, it says. And we hear Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> I see his trail of dust heading our way and reach down to grab him. When my hand closes, it's actually Sylvester the cat's hand. But when I bring it back up to look at it, it's my hand again. When I open it, there's a hole right through my hand. Travis starts to laugh, and then I, and then I do. And we are laughing crazily and start walking through the racking of Brafasco. However, it keeps going and going and going. And as we go along, we occasionally pass people who start to laugh with us. And eventually, this giant store is just full of laughing people. There is another part where all the Burfasco work people are in a library of some sort eating dinner, I think. It's a little blurry. There are definitely some other parts that I cannot quite remember. Hmm. And I wrote, hmm. Uh, think about getting recorder for beside bed. Note to self. LOL. Interface complete. Uh, this one is called Beefcake. Uh, the location is restaurant, then house. Lucidity is 7 to 8. This dream is a combination cooking show slash reality dating show with me as the star. Apparently the show actually also is with a different ethnicity each week. Uh, week 1 was with an Eastern European family of some sort. Romania, I think. Second week was with an Italian family. Um, week one starts off with me walking into a restaurant being greeted by three smoking hot chicks uh, one of them with a thong and her ass hanging out uh, week one though is more focused on the cooking sadly and we jump right into the kitchen uh, dad and ash are actually there so the main cook is the middle aged Romanian guy who's making some sort of leg of meat but uh, he is stretching it like taffy, which seemed delicious at the time, but gross now. Our second course is over, and we are eating uh, the second... Our first course is over, and we are eating the second. And the family asks 
us what we think. And Ash is not too impressed and says something like it was okay. And the little old lady uh, starts freaking out on her saying, Okay? What do you mean okay? And starts angrily muttering. Uh, and they kick and they kick Ash out and Dad goes after her. Okay. Then they ask what I think and I say delicious. <laughs> and they all cheer and the main cook guy picks me up in my chair a couple of times. There is another chef with grill marks on his hand who keeps buttering the grill with his hands. <laughs> uh, doesn't seem to hurt him though. Well, that's good. Week two is with the Italian family. It starts out with three sisters introducing themselves to me. Uh, and they are young and hot. Nice combo. So then I am watching an old Italian lady baking cookies that are in the shape of the letter K. And they are all real teeny cookies. I tell her my aunt's Italian. Uh, dream jump to where I am standing by the door. And the producers of the show let slip. Let slip. I am actually already engaged to Emily. <laughs> then I head outside with one of the daughters and we share a cigar. The cigar part reminds me there was another part that I don't really remember at all that took place in something like the school from one of my last dreams. The end. <laughs> Interface complete. Next, cooking along here. Uh, name is four and one. Location is question mark, question mark, giant mall, and planes. Lucidity is 0 to 7. That's a weird ratio. Um, I woke up 3 to 4 times in the night, and it was after a different dream each time. The first two are too vague to recall much of anything, but I do know I had them. The third I remember more than the fourth, oddly enough. It takes place in a... It takes place in a giant mall. What I sort of picture West Edmonton Mall, t mall to be like, except bigger. And, and it has a casino. Anyway, there is this whole movie type section with theaters and DVD shops and stuff. I pick up a DVD to look at it. I think it was Outlander. What the hell is Outlander? And then I sort of forget I am carrying it and leave the movie section of the mall. Uh, the DVD has some serious security stuff on it, and I walked through one of the security things, and apparently nothing went off, so I start walking faster, but I'm paranoid that they are going to follow me and catch me, so I'm walking faster and faster. And then, uh, I can see them following me, but they haven't pinpointed me yet, and are using some sort of tracking device. So I quickly duck into this patio bistro and chuck the movie to the side and sit down. All these security guards rush in and find the movie, but they don't know who took it. Uh, but then one of them says, it was Jordan Maywood, with his hand to his ear, like he's listening through one of those FBI ear-pluggy things. And then they all start sc uh, scouring for me, but none of them knows me except, it turns out the head of security is Carl Nissan. <laughs> Uh, he sees me and doesn't say anything though. After a bit of a search goes, after a bit of a search, he goes, "Well, there's no Jordan Maywood here." 
and all the security guys leave. And Carl and I sit down to have a coffee with his partner, who is not a midget exactly, but like half the size of Carl. <laughs> Uh, then suddenly I'm working on my laptop and this guy comes up and starts hassling me and I get up and I don't want to but I slap him around a bit and he's like crying and then his mom pops out and starts giving me shit and I say I had no choice and they storm off and then I turn around and my laptop's gone. Uh, it was all a trick to get my attention so I take off after them and now there is a th and now there is a third one with them, and they hop in an SUV and start to pull out. And I come screaming my head off at them, and the driver pulls out a gun and shoots me. And I feel it just barely, and then grapple the gun out of his hand and shoot him in the head. And the car runs into a pole. I walk towards the car, and there is some girl standing beside it. And I say something like, I think I've been shot, but I don't think it's too bad. Can you see it? She doesn't say anything, just points in the side mirror where I look and see blood spurting out of my neck where I was shot. Then I wake up. <laughs> that wasn't so nice. Interface complete. Uh, okay, next is called Celebrity Casino Night, sorta. Uh, location is book sale and a gala arena. Lucidity is seven to nine, and I have written an odd one here. Then <laughs> I I do remember this one. Um, I uh, this one had a lot of celebrities in it, so I listed each and put a little picture beside each. So within this dream is Julia Roberts. Richard Gere, Jeremy Piven, B. Arthur, Ronnie Corbett, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Paula Abdul, and the entire cast of Third Rock from the Sun. I am not kidding. That is fucked up. Even I will admit, that's a lot of celebrities, and, a, and quite a wide variety to have in one dream. Uh, then I also have plus much, much more that I don't remember. Okay, so here we go. The dream starts out... Uh, this is a long one. Just FYI. The dream starts out, I'm heading into, like, a Blockbuster Rogers, but an independent store. I'm looking for movies, but I find a room with empty shelves and another room with video games. And lastly, I enter a room filled with books. Normally a happy si situation, but I wanted to rent some movies. Uh, I decided to head to the counter and see where all the movies are. As I head there, I pass two celebrities dressed up for, like, the Oscars, black tie kind of deal. I don't remember who these two were. Then I get to the counter, and Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are also waiting to speak to one of the guys behind the counter. They are all busy, and Julia Roberts turns to me, also in fancy dress, Richard in a tux, and asks, Do you want to play a game while we're waiting? Uh, I am excited to actually be talking to a celeb, but play it cool and say, sure, why not? Julia Roberts turns to me. Uh, Julia pulls out these ratty-looking green pieces of cloth. They are both in different uh, shapes and appear to me made out of thousands of small square rectangles of cloth sewn together. She says, I bet you... 
I bet you that you can cut out three separate squares from either piece while I am not looking and I will be able to tell where they are cut from. I will give you 10 to 1 odds. My $10,000 to your 1000 Before I can say I don't have a thousand bucks, she turns her back. Richard Gere shakes his head. I cut three pieces and tap Julia on the shoulder. She turns around and immediately picks one. I think I am in trouble. Then she hesitates and picks two more, but they are not the right ones. Yay. Richard shakes his head again. Julia is not happy, but hands me over a bag. Uh, I open it and says, what the hell are these? And she says, they are chips, meaning like casino chips. I look back in the bag, and they are actually like little plastic containers. They are exactly like the plastic container at Lad's Stag that had the jello shooters in them, and I think they have words on them. I look up and say, what the fuck? I look up to say, what the fuck? But Julia and Richard are heading through the door. Uh, I follow. When I get through the door, I have lost them, but see like a giant poker roulette crap table thing, so I head over and sit next to Jeremy Piven. He is gambling with these little plastic cup things, so I put one down, having no idea what I'm doing. I win some, I think, and start to walk away. Jeremy Piven thinks I stole his chips when I get up. And he jumps on my back. I don't even flinch and say, Dude, I'm like 100 pounds bigger than you. He doesn't let up, so I pill him off and slam his head into the wall a couple times. He goes limp and I walk away. Um, I see B. Arthur. Uh, I throw I throw one of my chips to the ground and she dives at it and reads what it says on it. I don't remember what. And immediately runs towards a table with a dragon statue on it. She touches the dragon, and alarms go off, and everyone claps for her. She clearly won. I have no idea how or why. Uh, I see running between every. I see running between every group of celebs. Ronnie Corbett. Uh, I only know him from that one episode of the F Word, but he is famous in England for something. <laughs> Ronnie is buzzing around between. He has big eyebrows. Just on a side note. Ronnie is buzzing around between between groups and in and out of the rooms and reminds me of the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. He is in charge of the whole show, I somehow know. I keep trying to get him to stop and explain the rules, but he is too quick. Eventually, I bribe him with one of my chips, and even then I have to jog along beside him. Basically, the rules are this. Each person has a bag of this plastic shooter glasses with writing on them. They are the casino's chips. Apparently, Julia Roberts gave me uh, $10,000 worth. If you have doubles in your bag, that's good. They are worth more. What you do is take one or a few, if you have doubles, and throw them on the ground. Celebs will then rush up to grab them and attempt to read what it says on them. For some reason, this is often difficult or impossible. Then, if the celeb gets it wrong, which happens most of the time, uh, they then have to rush to one of the dragon tables scattered all over the gala. They have to get there before the person who threw the chips and touches the dragon. The person who got there first wins and gets more chips. Easy. And of course, B. Arthur has already beat me.
Anyway, now that I know the basic rules, I decide I'm going to cash out after playing just once. I find a set of doubles, stand next to a dragon table, and throw them on the floor. I don't remember the celebs, but they both got it wrong, and I touched the dragon right there and got a shitload of chips. Yay. I walk away, and I'm looking for a place to count my chips. I walk behind this curtain and don't see anyone there, and there's a nice long table with some books on one end and a big empty section to count out my winnings. It's a good thing I have a lot of room, because as I take the little plastic containers out of the bag, they turn they turn into this large rubber things. Uh, the very They vary in size. Some are square and some are rectangular, but all of them are about the size of a paperback. And the square ones are about half the size of a paperback. I am taking more and more, and they are taking up a lot of room. I don't remember too much what was actually on them, but I was matching up my doubles in piles when in walks Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He is admiring my stash and notices some with basketballs on them. And he reaches to grab them. I slap his hand away. Then Paula Abdul comes from somewhere and starts yelling that there's a guy back here counting chips. Like, apparently this is a really stupid thing to be doing. She rushes, rushes up and starts trying to grab stuff, too. I slap her as hard as I can, and she's out cold. Um, I turn back, and Kareem has a guilty look on his face, and some of my rubber chip things are gone. Then I hear more people coming from behind the curtain. And it is the entire cast of Third Rock from the Sun, with John Lithgow in the lead. And they swarm all over, and before I know it, all my chip token things are gone. And in place of them are books. All the celebs are gone, and I go in search of security, or someone who can help me get my stuff back. I am not a happy camper. Then, I wake up. Interface complete. <clears throat> that was... A long one. Next is called Paintball Bus. Location is on a school bus, mostly. Lucidity is five-ish. <laughs> oh, this is weird. Um, I have been very lackadaisical when it comes to writing my dreams out here, and I should be ashamed of myself. I just cannot seem to find the drive to write them right after breakfast. That is a note I wrote myself. And funny, because it had the word lackadaisical in it. And this is from 2010, February 2010. And now I'm recording this on a podcast called The Lackadaisical Liberal Cubiculist. So that is odd. Alright. <laughs> So, I believe the dream starts on a school bus. There may be parts before then, but I, but if so, I do not remember them. Uh, I am sitting in the middle towards the front of the bus, like when I used to sit when I actually rode the bus every day to school. At first, I am sitting with nobody, but eventually the sort of mutated little girl sits beside me. I am surprised I did not have a character like this in my dreams while I was reading The Elephant Man because she kind of reminds me of his description, but to a lesser degree. There is a giant flap of skin where her head meets her neck in the back, and I, like, pick it up and let it flap, flap back down. Ew. <laughs> 
then I am sitting with this other kind of deformed thing, but it is much smaller, and everyone else on the bus, much smaller than everyone else on the bus, and not nearly as deformed as a little girl. But it needs my help to sit up straight, so I kind of tuck it under my arm to keep it from sliding all over the place, because the bus is bouncing up and down a fair bit. That's all I remember of the deformed kids. The rest of the dream, the kids around me are normal, say 10 to 16 year olds. I am young too, actually. I noticed that most of us have paint guns. I actually don't think the whole dream I ever even got to hold one, and I remember being disappointed. So the kids are like hanging out the windows and shooting into the woods, and we are driving through and just having fun, and then shots start being fired back from the woods, and it's like the bus is under attack. Uh, eventually we clear the forest and come to a gate that the bus driver has to go and unlock before we can drive through. Uh, there is this big guy uh, then who is kind of dressed like the Predator from the movies uh, and kind of looks like some of the aliens from the show Farscape uh, that I'm watching right now. Hmm, must have been watching Farscape at the time of this dream. Uh, I know, though, as you do in dreams, it's just a guy in a costume slash protective clothing who is challenging our entire army. He throws, like, a paintball grenade and takes out a bunch of kids, and, and we all pour out of the bus to attack him. We are taking pretty... We are taking it pretty seriously, but no, it's just part of the game. Um... The big guy jumps into, like, a ditch, and we have him pinned in there. And some of our army has circled around, and he is surrounded by us. But nobody wants to rush him, because we know he has taken out a lot of armies, just like ours. Pretty sure that's when I woke up. Interface complete. Next. It is called Police Academy 13, colon, Dream. Okay. Uh, location, high-speed chase and grocery store. Lucidity, four-ish plus. Uh, when I start to re where I start to remember the dream is during a high-speed chase. I am a cop, and I think I am driving, and my partner is beside me. Pretty sure there were various characters from the Police Academy movies throughout the dream, hence the name. Uh, eventually, during this police chase, which I don't remember too much, we end up crashing into a grocery store. In the grocery store, we have a big shootout with this biker-type gang that we have been chasing. Eventually, uh, another car crashes through the front of the building, and in it is a rival gang. Uh, this is an all-girl gang. <laughs> they kill all the biker-type gang members, and take off in their car. Me and my partner run towards our cop car to chase after the girls. Now, or maybe... Now my partner is, I think, the maid from the Clue movie? <laughs> okay. But of course dressed as a cop. Her shirt has been torn, and I see a tattoo on her shoulder that all the girls in the gang have. So I know she's like a spy and gonna double-cross me. And then I wake up. Interface complete. 
okay, this one is called Mad Max Mansion. Hmm. Got a little more creative with the titles, I see. Uh, location starts off in Haunted House, ends on the road a la Mad Max. Lucidity free-ish. Uh, Dream starts in a haunted slash scary house that has made many appearances in my dreams, in my dream life. I actually don't know what I mean by that. Uh, sometimes aspects of this house are terrifying, but this time nothing scary. Uh, my notes say wizard and library, so that sounds cool, but I don't remember it very well. I think I recall a door, and I have in my notes alternate dimension. Uh, here is like a Mad Max kind of scenario, but kind of cartoon video game like. Uh, the impression I have now, but don't recall. My notes say trapped in body of Leonardo da Vinci. Wow. <laughs> don't remember that, but I think it was me as Leo and like Zoro or a sword, sword fighter of some sort, like battling stuff. <laughs> uh, reading this. I am seeing some correlation with the really good book I'm reading right now, which is not surprising. Uh, Promise of the Witch King by R.A. Salvatore. I like him. I don't remember that book. Uh, that's all for now. Gotta type these things out sooner and more often. Yeah, see, that's, uh, I guess, what happens if you don't uh, type it out right when you get up. You, It doesn't make sense. It gets blurry. Well, well, yes, come in. This one starts off with a note before. So, been watching Cheers on DVD, and this is my second Cheers-related dream since I have started watching them. I have, of course, had some in the past as well, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, actually. Uh, I did not write out the first one, as it was too short and I didn't remember much. It was different from all previous Cheers dreams in that it was actually with the actors themselves did not take place in the bar. Anyway, on to this one. The name is Cheers to Violence. <laughs> uh, location, location is Cheers and Boston. Lucidity is 7 to 8. So the dream starts out uh, as my past Cheers dreams often have. Sitting at the bar, shooting the shit, drinking. Good stuff, really. Norm is there. Sam, Woody, Cliff, Frazier, I think. So I get up off my stool next to Norm, of course, and see this giant like video game machine thing where the cameras would be, but this is a real bar. So I sit down and play one round and lose badly. But then I kind of see how to do better, and I st start by putting a ZZZZ and I'm a little upset because I only meant to type in ZZZ. I don't rem... What does that even mean? don't remember too much of the game itself other than its display was like full of green characters and it was as wide as my outstretched arms. You sit in front of this machine on a sort of bolted down bar stool but bigger. Uh, as I start to do well at the game, the stool starts to move. It's gradual, but eventually I'm holding on for dear life. And I'm way up in the air at one point, which I don't like. <laughs> and eventually the seat wraps around this pole and launches me over to the jukebox. I am dazed, but eventually okay. 
uh, I get up and head back to my bar stool, but the bar is all different and set up more like, I guess, a curio antique china shop, sorta. There are weird things in glass cases everywhere, like cool rocks, dragon figurines. Sam shows me a dragon cookie jar. Also, at some point, it's Halloween, and Sam is in drag. Uh, Sam is in drag, and Carla is dressed as a cat, which I think she did dress in an actual episode. Yeah, I think she did, maybe. Uh, towards the end of the dream, it gets more movie-like, and there is, like, a rivalry between us at Cheers and the bar next door. I remember things getting really heated, and there are fights outside, and I go to this sort of open-air cafe and manage to get the Yakuza involved. Um, I have also written in my notes, love interest with cop, but I don't remember that at all. I remember it was starting to get really good and movie-like when I got up. I was disappointed. Interface complete. Okay. This one is called Superpowers, then Alien Apocalypse. Ooh, exciting. Uh, location. Superpowers takes place mostly in a giant hotel. Alien Apocalypse takes place in various places in the town of Bolton. However, some of the places do not actually exist. Hmm. Lucidity, 7 to 10. Wow. Another high one. I think, uh, you know what, towards the end, I would only write down ones when I, like, really remembered them. Uh, and this looks like one of those. Uh, the dream took place in two parts, hence the two names. The first part, superpowers, is not quite as lucid as I had it, woke up, went back to bed, and then had the other one. Um... Not quite superpowers now that I think back. I think it was more magical powers. Or uh, the will and the word. Because I'm now reading Belgrath the Sorcerer. Oh, that's a good one. I read that a couple times. Uh, the only part I really remember uh, is being able to call forth a small green flame in my left hand while simultaneously having a thorny vine come out of my right hand. That's how I started, but I remember eventually I was much more powerful, and eventually I picked up a rhino with telekinesis and threw it across the room. The rhino had fallen through two to three stories of hotel floors. Then I woke up, I think, because the power went out. Um, dream number two, Alien Apocalypse, is reminiscent of the old toothbrush dream in its lucidity and movie likeness. Very vivid. So, that's kind of weird, because that's how we started talking about. Um, starts off in the old neighborhood behind Zares. Just kind of hanging out in the street. I think Fountain Bridge, but instead of houses on both sides, it's houses on the north side, just a long gray fence on the south side of the street. I uh, can't really remember who was there. I think Coffee was, which is odd, as I've not seen him in like 15 years. I think Becca was on my right, and we all, like 20 people, got to the fence to look to the south towards Toronto. Uh, we all go up to the fence because we heard screaming in the distance towards Toronto. Uh, a giant black cloud is forming, and it's heading our way. This cloud is massive and must be moving extremely fast to make it from Toronto to Bolton so quickly. 
Eventually, we hear an air siren go off, like used to happen during Blitzkrieg in World War II. Okay. <laughs> I think there may even have been an announcement over, like, a giant PA system that this is the end, or something to that effect. I look towards Highway 50, and a tendril of the black smoke has reached there, and people are running north, but it's no use, and it engulfs and kills them. Not very nice. I look back north as it's about to hit our position, and there is, like, green lightning in the black smoke, and areas of the smoke are even green now that it's up close. Uh, I basically kiss my ass goodbye at that point. But as often in what sounds like a scary dream, I'm not really scared at this point. Yeah, I should point that out. A lot of the times in dreams when scary things are happening, um, I'm not phased by them for some reason whatsoever, as is the case here. Uh, the cloud passes and presumably heads north. I am not dead. Rather, uh, rather, the whole world is basically shades of black except for small pockets of vivid glowing green. The green pockets appear to be people, but it's like the green pockets are keeping us alive from the black death. I am sure there was more, but I only remember seeing one person other than myself. It was like a young girl in a green pocket under what remained of a collapsed bridge. There was a kind of dream jump to the future, and I am in a sort of post-apocalyptic Bolton. A sort of Fallout 3 type Bolton. There are still buildings, but dilapidated mostly. And although I know it's still Bolton, uh, the setup is all wrong. And there are buildings that do not exist in the actual Bolton. The survivors eventually start to congregate together, and I end up with a group in the basement of a house. It's a little jumbled exactly what happened, but eventually a gun on a turret pops through a hole in the floor. Everyone is scared, and I think it shoots some people. The gun is clearly alien in origin. I rush towards it and try to pull it through the floor, and I do it, but it just keeps coming and coming like a clown hanky. I can hear voices above swearing. They are aliens. And eventually they get, they give up, and I get the gun and tear off all the excess and have this huge BFG-type gun in my hand. It has a display on it, and depending where I point it, I see different things. I work out where I point it upwards, I'm actually seeing the two aliens who were going to kill us, and I shoot through the floor and kill them. As I'm pointing upwards, I work out that I am even seeing uh, alien ships, and I let off some rounds and can actually see one of their larger ships in orbit being destroyed. Everyone cheers me on. I guess I am out of ammo now. And I put it down, and we all sit down and talk about what we were, what we were doing the day the black cloud slash aliens came. As we talk, it becomes that's a friggin' long one. As we talk, it becomes clear that all of us had eaten at McDonald's. I'm kind of the leader in the leader role, so I ask, "Will everyone who ate at McDonald's put up their hand?" Everyone does except one guy. We all look at him. We all look at him, at glowing red-orange alien writing appears on his forehead, and he turns sort of liquid like Odo from Deep Space Nine, 
and makes his escape through my gun holes. Uh, so now we somehow inherently know that the aliens, for some strange reason, cannot lie about this one thing. So if you ever want to know if someone is an alien, you just ask them if they ate at McDonald's on the day the aliens came. Crazy, but true. Another dream jump here, I think. Um, we are all, the human race as a whole basically, looking for the ideal place to settle down and start rebuilding civilization. I am in charge of at least a fairly significant group of people, and we come across a mansion that looks ideal. I don't recall the circumstances exactly, but the mansion is a trap by the aliens, and it sort of tricks people into staying there and thinking they are happy, but eventually kills them. When I figure it out, I gather as many of the... When I figure it out, I gather as many as I can. Uh, some of them just won't believe the danger, and we rush out. I notice that Emily is not with us, and I rush back to save her. But I'm held back by some of my group, and they point out... Uh, and they point Emily out in the background of the mansion. I yell at her something like, Come on, you're in danger. But she just has that sort of dumb smile that shows she is trapped by the mansion and just stays. Hmm, that's sad. She says, No, come here, Jordan, and we will have fun together, or something like that. So I'm forced to leave her behind. I am really sad, it says. Um, we move on looking for a place to settle. Not surprisingly, I decide that a great place for us to settle would be in a public library. I tell everyone, and they laugh, but I don't let up. And I keep telling them, um, and thinking about this book from Amazon that I wanted to get on How to Survive the Apocalypse, which I did buy that book. Uh, I think I convince everyone this is the way to go. I remember one more encounter in a house that we tempo temporarily stayed in with an old couple who seemed nice but turned out to be aliens who cooked us alien foods that would act similar to the trapped mansion and make us just kind of lay down and die. Through this, we even learned that the McDonald questions would even work on our food. <laughs> it would make... It would make noises if it was alien food. We set out again, and I could swear we were about to find the library before I woke up. Tried to go back to sleep, even to see, but couldn't get back in. Yows. Interface complete. Well, that was a pretty crazy one. I think, yep. Okay, this is the last one. So this is the one from July of 2011, and the last time I wrote down a dream. It is called Magic versus God. Mm. Magic would win. Um, and the location is small Bolton-esque subdivision. Lucidity is 7 to 8. Here we go. Dream the last. Mm. So I know there were parts before when I start remembering the dream, but I cannot remember them. It starts off in a giant tour bus, and my grandpa is driving, and I am in kind of the passenger seat slash standing by the school bus type doors. He is taking us somewhere and is really excited, but is worried that we won't get in the front door and we'll have to go around back. At this point, I don't really know where we are going and who, if anyone else, 
is on the bus with us. Uh, we pull up to this building, and the front of it is sort of like Man's Chinese Theater, and there are lights and neon and stuff. There is a bouncer dude who sees us trying to pull in, but he runs over and is like, No, 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 you can't bring that bus in here. You have to go back. Now, I somehow know we are going to, like, a Bible meeting slash evangelical slash cult type place, and the reason we can't go in the front is because there are, like, naked women painted all over the bus, and it is obviously not the type of image they want coming in their front door. Uh, my grandpa is upset, and we start to make our way to the back. Uh, we is backing up. I guess he is backing up the bus and I have my head at the door guiding him on my side and we clear a wall that is like half we clear we clear a wall by like half an inch and it seemed like we only cleared it because somehow I pulled the bus from inside just that extra little bit so that we missed it like telekinesis -y. um once we are going forward it gets strange, because <laughs> it hasn't been strange so far. Uh, once we are going forward, it gets strange in that the dream kind of jumps to first-person view, and somehow we are driving this bus through, like, a small hallway. Sometimes the hallways are not, like, in an... Sometimes the hallways are, like, in an office, and sometimes the hallways are, like, in a castle of Wolfenstein. Uh, while driving, while driving, I literally say to myself, this is not possible. The dream kind of jumps to where we were pulling up to the back of the building, but the back of the building somehow just looks like a regular house on an ordinary street. I know that inside it's all very religious, and I don't really want to have any part of this. Uh, my grandpa and I are walking up the driveway, uh, and up comes Bruce Willis. Uh, Grandpa introduces us, and I don't remember seeing my grandpa anymore after this point. Uh, Bruce Willis is apparently big into this whole religious thing, and can somehow tell I am not. All I remember is saying, all I remember him saying is "ha," like really loud, and then we shook hands, and he started squeezing my hand, so I squeezed back, and we kept squeezing harder and harder. But eventually, I can tell I am, like, crushing his hand. So he stops, and I let him go, and he goes into the house. Uh, that's where it's like he kind of think I... That's where it's like he kind of, I think, cursed me or something. And now, for most of the rest of the dream, these little red, almost raspberries, but smaller, keep just appearing in my mouth. So I have to keep constantly spitting them out uh, of my mouth or it will get filled up. Not fun. Uh, it's nighttime and I'm kind of loitering outside with other people because I just don't want to go in the house. The only person I remember being there is Travis Hall, who, as you know, has made appearances in dreams before. Oh, it's strange that I wrote that. Um, we are basically just hanging around drinking out front. At one point, uh, he dropped a beer and freaked out, so I gave him my last one. Uh, I tried to explain about the spitting berries, but it's like if I tried to do it to show someone, it would not work. Uh, eventually, it's just me and him, and we figure we have to go inside, so we make our way to the door. 
Um, we can kind of see into the basement and something is going on, but I can't tell what it is, but nothing crazy. People seem to be laughing and smiling and stuff. Travis heads down and I go to follow, but apparently you're not allowed in the house with your outside shoes on. You have to wear sandals. Uh, I don't refuse to do so, but I don't go in any further, but I don't go in any further or put the sandals on either since I am fine right inside the door. Uh, though basically all of this I'm doing my, through basically all of this I'm doing my berry spinning uh, and eventually there is a giant pie, a giant pile right by the door. Uh, some women see the berries, but not me spitting them out of course, and yells something like, come on outside everyone, looks like the berries are blooming. <laughs> everyone starts to get up and go outside. Travis kind of looks at me, and then at the pile of berries besides me, and for a second I think he believes me, so I try again to spit out more berries, but instead, like a handful of different kind of pills pop out. We are outside now, and the same berries I'm spitting out are growing from every tree. Travis grabs some of the drugs and takes them, and I take the rest. Then it kind of dream jumps, and I don't know if I am a little girl or am just watching the little girl, but she is running away from the house and ends up like one street over in front of another house. There are no lights on, but she goes inside. She goes inside, I think, and it's kind of blurry, but I think she explains to Richard Lewis about the evangelical house and wants his help to stop it. Jumps back to the house with Richard Lewis Comedian Richard Lewis, yes, that's right. Uh, Richard Lewis coming up the driveway. He sort of stops. Uh, then there is like an extreme close-up on his face, which goes all red and veiny. And you can tell somehow that he is like fighting the force of the house with his mind. The fuck? Eventually, he seems to get control of himself again and heads in the front door where everyone is happily sitting around. Uh, seems like they are celebrating a birthday or something. Richard sits on the couch and just starts talking. Uh, I don't remember about what, but he keeps talking and talking and getting more animated and everyone stops whatever they are doing and just starts watching him and more and more people come and are like mesmerized by him and I somehow know he is trying to win them away from the house. Uh, eventually he grows kind of what I would describe as a magician's mustache <laughs> and starts doing magic tricks. Everyone is very close now and being completely won over and torn away from the house. Uh, when he does his final trick to end it all, where a rat kind of morphs out of his neck and ear, Everyone applauds, and you can tell the house has lost. Yay. Uh, that was when I woke up, but there was a couple other things that happened. A uh, sort of side story where the little girl threw a toy horse somewhere in like a crawl space of the house and went in to get it to get it and met a cheetah. But Richard Lewis told her how to scare the cheetah, so she chased after it. But when it was cornered, it decided to fight back and was stalking her in the maze of the crawl space. And it came around a corner and was going to kill her, 
but an arm sort of materialized out of the tor out of the toy horse and pulled the cheetah in so she was safe the end well folks <laughs> that was our journey our journey through the subconscious of my mind quite literally really well maybe not literally as close to literally as you can get I hope uh, you enjoyed it, and uh, here is to 100 more episodes. Yes, yes. Um, how you can make that happen, you, the listener, is to do me the favor of passing on the podcast to those you think will like to hear it. That is all I ask. Folks, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Libro Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper